Section 18 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Marty Chris. The Enchanted Hat. The Adventure of My Lady's Letter by Harold McGrath. It was half after six when I entered Martin's from the Broadway side. I chose a table by the north wall and sat down on the cushioned seat. I ordered dinner, and the ample proportions of it completely hoodwinked the waiter as to the condition of my cardiac affliction, being as I was desperately and hopelessly and miserably in love. Old owls say that a man cannot eat when he is in love. He can if he is mad at the way the object of his affections have treated him. And I was mad. To be sure, I cannot recall what my order was, but the amount of the waiter's check is still vivid to my recollection. I glanced about. The café was crowded, as it usually is at this hour. Here and there I caught glimpses of celebrities and familiar faces, journalists, musicians, authors, artists, and actors. This is the time they drop in to be pointed out to strangers from out of town. It's a capital advertisement. Tonight, however, none of these interested me in the slightest degree. Rather, their animated countenances angered me. How could they laugh and look happy? At my left sat a young man about my own age. He was also in evening dress. At my right, a benevolent old gentleman, whose eyeglasses balanced neatly upon the end of his nose, was deeply interested in the law journal and a pint of mineral water. A little beyond my table was an exiled Frenchman, and the irritating odor of absinthe drifted at times across my nostrils. With my coffee I ordered a glass of Danzig, and watched the flakes of beaten gold waver and settle. I presently devoted myself entirely to my own particularly miserable thoughts. To be in love and in debt. To be with the gods one moment and hunted by a bill-collector the next. To have the girl you love snub and dismiss you for no more lucid reason than that you did not attend the dance at the country club when you promised you would. It did not matter that you had a case on that night from which depended a large slice of your bread and butter. No, that did not matter. Neither did the fact that you had mixed the dates. You had promised to go, and you hadn't gone or notified the girl that you wouldn't go. Your apologetic telegram she had torn into halves and returned the following morning, together with a curt note to the effect that she could not value the friendship of a man who made and broke a promise so easily. It was all over. It was a dashed hard world. How the deuce do you win a girl anyhow? Supposing, besides, that you possessed a rich uncle who said that on the day of your wedding he would make over to you fifty thousand in government three per cents. Hard, wasn't it? Suppose that you were earning about two thousand a year and that the struggle to keep up smart appearances was a keen one. Wouldn't you have been eager to marry, especially the girl you loved? A man cannot buy flowers twice a week, dine before and take supper after the theatre twice a week, belong and pay dues and house accounts to a country club, a town club, and keep respectable bachelor apartments on two thousand and save anything. And suppose the girl was independently rich. Hey-ho! 
I find that a man needs more money in love than he does in debt. This is not to say that I was ever hard-pressed, but I hated to pay ten dollars on account when the total was only twenty. You understand me, don't you? If you don't, somebody who reads this will. Of course, the girl knew nothing about these things. A young man always falls into the fault of magnifying his earning capacity to the girl he loves. You see, I hadn't told her yet that I loved her, though I was studying up somebody on moral and physical courage for that purpose. And now it was all over. I did not care so much about my uncle's gold bonds, but I did think a powerful lot of the girl. Why, when I recall the annoyances I've put up from that kid brother of hers, pshaw, what's the use? His mother called him Toddy One Boy, in memory of a book she had read long years ago. He was six years old, and I never think of him without that jingle coming to mind. Little Wheelie choked his sister. She was dead before they missed her. Willie's always up to tricks. Ain't he cute? He's only six. He had the face of a Beaujolais cherub, and mild blue eyes such as we are told inhabit the countenances of angels. He was the most innocent-looking chap you ever set eyes on. His mother called him an angel. I should hate to tell you what the neighbors called him. He lacked none of that subtle humor so familiar in child life. Heavens! The deeds I could, if I dared, enumerate. They turned him loose among the comic supplements one Sunday, and after that it was all over. Hadn't he emptied his grandma's medicine capsules and substituted cotton? And hadn't dear old grandma come downstairs three days later, saying that she felt much improved? Hadn't he beaten out the brains of his toy bank and bought up the peanut man on the corner? Yes, indeed. And hadn't he taken my few letters from his sister's desk and played postman up and down the street? His papa thought it all a huge joke till one of the neighbors brought back a dunning dressmaker's bill that had lain on the said neighbor's porch. It was altogether a different matter then. Toddy one boy crawled under the bed that night, and only his mother's tears saved him from a hiding. All of these I thought over as I sat at my table. She knew that I would have gone had it been possible. Women and logic are only cousins German. Six months ago I hadn't been in love with anyone but myself, and now the Virgil of love's dream was leading me like a new Dante through his inferno, and was pointing out the foster-brother of Sisyphus, if he had a foster-brother, pushing the stone of my lady's favor up the steeps of forlorn hope. Well, I would go up to the club, and if I didn't get home till morning, who was there to care? The Frenchman had gone and the benevolent old gentleman. The crowd was thinning out. The young man at my left rose, and I rose also. We both stared thoughtfully at the hat-rack. There hung two hats, an opera hat and a dilapidated old stove-pipe. The young fellow reached up and, quite naturally, selected the opera hat. He glanced into it, and immediately a wrinkle of annoyance darkened his brow. He held the hat toward me. "'Is this yours?' he asked. I looked at the label. "'No,' 
the wrinkle of annoyance sprang from his brow to mine. My opera hat had cost me eight dollars. The young fellow laughed rather lamely. <laughs> do you live in New York? he asked. I nodded. So do I, he continued. And yet it is evident that both of us have been neatly caught. He thought for a moment, then brightened. I'll tell you what. Let's match for the good one. I gazed indignantly at the rusty stovepipe. Done, said I. I lost. I knew that I should, and the young fellow walked off with the good hat. Then, with the relic in my hand, a waiter and myself began a systematic search. My hat was nowhere to be found. How the deuce was I to get uptown to the club? I couldn't wear the old plug. I wasn't rich enough for such an eccentricity. I had nothing but a silk hat at the apartment, and I hated it because it was always in the way when I entered the carriages and elevators. Angrily I strode up to the cashier's desk and explained the situation, leaving my address and the number of my apartment. My name wasn't necessary. Troubles never come singly. Here I had lost my girl and my hat to say nothing of my temper, of the three the most certain to be found again. I passed out of the café, bareheaded and hot-headed. I held a cab and climbed in. I had finally determined to return to my rooms and study. I simply could not afford to be seen with that stovepipe hat either on my head or under my arm. Had I been green from college, it is probable that I should have worn it proudly and defiantly, but I had left college behind these six years. Hang these old duffers who are so absent-minded, for I was confident that the benevolent old gentleman was the cause of all this confusion. Inside the cab I tried on the thing, just to get a picture in my mind of the old gentleman going up Broadway with my opera hat on his head. The hat sagged over my ears, and I laughed. The picture I had conjured up was too much for my anger, which vanished suddenly. And once I had left, I felt a trifle more agreeable toward the world. So long as a man can see the funny side of things, he has no active desire to leave life behind, and laughter does more to lighten his sorrows than sympathy, which only aggravates them. After all, the old gentleman would feel the change more sharply than I. This was, in all probability, the only hat he had. I turned it over and scrutinized it. It was a genteel old beaver with an air of respectability that was quite convincing. There was nothing smug about it either. It suggested amiability in the man who recently possessed it. It suggested also a mild contempt for public opinion, which is always a sign of superior mentality and advanced years. I began to draw a mental portrait of the old man. He was a family lawyer, doubtless, who lived in the past and hugged his retrospections. When we are young, there is never any vanishing point to our daydreams. Well, well. On the morrow, he would have a new hat of approved shape and pattern, unless, indeed, he possessed others like this which had fallen into my keeping. Perhaps he would soon discover his mistake, return to the café, and untangle the snarl. I sincerely hoped he would. As I remarked, my hat had cost me eight dollars. I soon arrived at my apartments and got into a smoking jacket. I rather delight in lolling around in a dress shirt. It looks so like the pictures we see in the fashionable novels. I picked up Blackstone and turned to his promissory notes. I had two or three out myself. 
it was nine o'clock when the hall boy's bell rang and i placed my ear to the tube a gentleman wished to see me in regard to a lost hat send him up james send him up i bawled down the tube visions of the club returned and i tossed blackstone into a corner presently there came a tap on the door and i flung it wide but my visitor was not the benevolent old gentleman he was the frenchman whose absence had offended me he glanced at the slip of paper in his hand i have the honour to address the uh, gentleman in number six i live here delight we have mixed the hats i have the regret is this your hat he held out for my inspection an opera hat i am so absent-minded what you call distrait affably i took the hat which at first glance i thought to be mine and went over to the rack taking down the old stove-pipe this is yours then i said smiling thousand thanks monsieur it is certain mine i have the honour to beg pardon for the confusion my compliments good night without giving the hat a single glance he clapped it on his head bowed and disappeared leaving me his card he hadn't gone two minutes when i discovered that the hat he had exchanged for the stove-pipe was not mine it came from the same firm but the initials proved it without doubt to belong to the young fellow i had met at the table i said some uncomplimentary things where the deuce was my hat evidently the benevolent old gentleman hadn't waked up yet tingling it was the boy's bell again well another man after a hat what's going on send him up i yelled it came over me that the frenchman had made a second mistake i was not disappointed this time in my visitor it was the benevolent old gentleman evidently he had not located his hat either and might not for some time to come i began to believe that i had given it to the frenchman he seemed terribly excited you are the gentleman who occupies number six yes sir this is my apartment you have come in regard to a hat yes sir my name is chittenden our hats got mixed up at martin's this evening my fault as usual i am always doing something absurd my memory is so bad when i discovered my mistake i was calling on the family of a client with whom i had spent most of the afternoon i missed some valuable papers legal documents i believed as usual that i had forgotten to take them with me they were nowhere to be found at the house my client has a very mischievous son and it seems that he stuffed the papers behind the inside band of my hat with them was a letter i have had two very great scares a great deal of trouble would ensue if the papers were lost i just telephoned that i had located the hat he laughed pleasantly good heavens here was a howdy-do my dear mr chittenden there has been a great confusion i faltered i had your hat but 
but you have come too late. Too late? he roared, or should I say, to be exact, shouted. Yes, sir. What have you done with it? Not five minutes ago I gave it to a Frenchman who seemed to recognize it as his. It was the Frenchman, if you will remember, who sat near your table in the café. And this hat isn't yours, then? Helplessly. This was a flat-brimmed hat of the Paris boulevards, the father of all stove-pipe hats dear to the Frenchman's heart. Candidly now, said I with a bit of excusable impatience, do I look like a man who would wear a hat like that? He surveyed me miserably through his eyeglasses. No, I can't say that you do. But what in the world am I to do? He mopped his brow in ecstasy of anguish. The hat must be found. The legal papers could be replaced, but... You see, sir, that boy put a private letter of his sister's in the band of that hat, and it must be recovered at all hazards. I am very sorry, sir, but what shall I do? I do not see what can be done save for you to leave word at the café. The Frenchman is doubtless a frequenter, and may easily be found, if you had come a few moments sooner. With a gurgle of dismay he fled, leaving me with a half-finished sentence hanging on my lips, and the Frenchman's chapeau hanging on my fingers. And my hat. Where was my hat? I may as well add here, in parentheses, that the disappearance of my eight-dollar hat still remains a mystery. I have had to buy a new one. So the boy had put a letter of his sister's in the band of the hat, I mused. How like her kid brother! It seemed that more or less families had toddy one boys to look after. Pshaw! What a muddle because a man couldn't keep his thoughts from wool-gathering. Well, here I had two hats, neither of which was mine. I could, at a pinch, wear the opera hat as it was the exact size of the one I had lost. But what was to be done with the Frenchman's? Fool that I was! I rushed over to the table. The Frenchman had left his card, and I had forgotten all about it and I hadn't asked the benevolent old gentleman where he lived. The Frenchman's card read, M. D. Beausire, number ought ought Washington Place. I decided to go myself to the address, state the matter to Monsieur de Beausire, and rescue the letter. I knew all about these toddy one boys, and I might be doing some girl a signal service. I looked at my watch. It was closing on to ten, so I reluctantly got into my coat again, drew on a topcoat, and put on the hat that fitted me. Probably the girl had been writing some fortunate fellow a love letter. No gentleman will ever overlook a chance to do a favor for a young girl in distress. I had scarcely drawn my stick from the umbrella jar when the bell rang once again. "'Hello!' I called down the tube. "'Why couldn't they let me be?' "'Lady wants to see you, sir.' A lady? Yes, sir, a real lady. L-A-D-Y. She says she's come to see the gentleman in number six about a plug hat. What's the graft, anyway? A plug hat? Yes, sir, a plug hat. She seems a bit anxious. Shall I send her up? She's a peach. Yes, send her up, I answered feebly enough. 
and now there was a woman in the case i wiped the perspiration from my brow and wondered what i should say to her a woman by jove the sister of the mischievous boy old chittenden must have told her where he had gone and as he hasn't shown up she's worried it must be a tremendously important letter to cause all this hubbub so i laid aside my hat and waited tugging and gnawing at my mustache had the girl acted reasonably i shouldn't have gone to martin's that night how easy it is for a woman to hurt the man she knows is in love with her and the girl had hurt me more than i was willing to confess even to myself she had implied that i had carelessly broken an engagement soon there came a gentle tapping certainly the young woman had abundant pluck i approached the door quickly and flung it open the girl herself stood on the threshold and we stared at each other with bewildered eyes part two she was the most exquisite creature in all the wide world and there she was within reach of my hungry arms you she cried stepping back one hand at her throat and the other against the jamb of the door dumb as ever was lot's wife after the turning point in her career i stood and stared and admired a woman would instantly have noticed the beauty of her sables but i was a man to whom such details were inconsequent i did not expect that is only the number of the apartment was given she stammered i then her slender figure straightened and with an effort she subdued the fright and dismay which had evidently seized her have you mr chittenden's hat mr chittenden's hat i repeated with a tingling in my throat similar to that when you hit your elbow smartly on a corner mr chittenden's hat yes he is so thoughtless that i dared not trust him to search for it alone have you got it heavens how my heart beat at the sight of this beautiful being as she stood there palpitating between shame and anxiety she was beautiful and i knew instantly that i loved her better than anything else on earth mr chittenden's hat i continued as lucid as a trained parrot and in tones not wholly dissimilar can't you say anything more than that impatiently how much more easily a woman recovers her poise than a man especially when that man gives himself over as tamely as i did was it your letter he was seeking i cried all eagerness and excitement as this one sane thought entered my head did he tell you that there was a letter in it scornfully yes guiltily heaven only knows why i should have had any sense of guilt give it to me at once imperatively the hat or the letter truly i did not know what i was about only one thing was plain to my confused mind and that was the knowledge that i wanted to put my arms around her and carry her far far away from toddy one boy are you mad to anger me in this fashion she said bawling her little gloved hands wrathfully had there been real lightning in her eyes i'd have been dead this long while do you dare believe that i knew you lived in this apartment uh, i haven't the hat you dare to search it drawing herself up to a supreme height which was something less than five feet two i became angry and somehow found myself 
I never pry into other people's affairs. You are the last person I expected to see this night. Will you answer a single question? I promise not to intrude further upon your time, which doubtless is very valuable. Have you either the hat or the letter? Neither. I knew nothing about any letter till Mr. Chittenden came, but he came too late. Too late? in an agonized whisper. Yes, too late. I had, unfortunately, given his hat to another gentleman, who made a trifling mistake in thinking it to be his own. Suddenly my manners returned to me. Will you come in? Come in? No! You have given the hat to another man! A trifling mistake! He calls it a trifling mistake! Addressing the heavens, obscured though they were by the thickness of several ceilings. Oh, what shall I do? She began to wring her hands, and when a woman does that, what earthly hope is there for a man who looks on? don't do that i implored i'll find the hat at a word from her for all she had trampled on me i would gladly have gone to honolulu in search of a hat-pin the gentleman left me his card with your permission i will go at once in search of him i have a cab outside give me the address i refuse to permit you to go alone you have absolutely nothing to say in regard to where i shall or shall not go in this one instance i shall withhold the address how her eyes blazed oh it is easily to be seen that you do not trust me i was utterly discouraged i did not imply that with the least bit of softening certainly i would trust you but well as laughingly as i could i must be the one to take out that letter decidedly i offer to bring you the hat untouched i replied i insist on going very well we shall go together under no other circumstances this is a common courtesy that i would show to a perfect stranger i put on my hat took up the frenchman's card and tile and bowed her gravely into the main hallway we did not speak on the way down to the street we entered the cab in silence and went rumbling off southwest when the monotony became positively unbearable i spoke I regret to force myself upon you. No reply. It must be a very important letter. To no one but myself, with extreme frigidity. His father ought to wring his neck, thinking of Toddy one boy. Sir, he is my brother. I beg your pardon. It seemed that I wasn't getting on very well. We bumped across the Broadway tracks. Once or twice our shoulders touched, and the thrill I experienced was as painful as it was rapturous. What was in a letter that she should go to this extreme to recall it? A heat-flash of jealousy went over me. She had written to some other fellow, for there always is some other fellow. Hang him! And then a grand idea came to my erstwhile stupid head. Here she was, alone with me in a cab. It was the opportunity of a lifetime. I could force her to listen to my explanation. I received your note, I began. It was cruel and without justice. Her chin went up a degree. The worst criminal is not condemned without a hearing, and I have had none. No perceptible movement. We are none of us infallible in keeping appointments. 
we are liable to make mistakes occasionally had i known that tuesday night was the night of the dance i'd have crossed to jersey in a rowboat the chin remained precipitously inclined i am poor and the case involved some of my bread and butter the work was done at ten and even then i did not discover that i had in any way affronted you i had it down in my notebook as wednesday night the lips above the chin curled slightly you see i went on striving to keep my voice even toned my uncle is rich but i ask no odds of him i live entirely upon what i earn at law it's the only way i can maintain my individuality my self-respect and independence my uncle has often expressed his desire to make me a handsome allowance but what would be the use now bitterly the chin moved a little it was too dark to see what this movement expressed it seems that i am only a very unfortunate fellow you had given me your promise i know it not that i cared with cat-like cruelty but i lost the last train out while waiting for you not even a note to warn me not the slightest chance to find an escort when a man gives his promise to a lady it does not seem possible that he could forget it if he cared to keep it i tell you honestly that i mixed the dates how weak my excuses seemed now that they had passed my lips you are sure that you mixed nothing else ironically she afterward apologized for this it appears that it would have been better to come alone i regret that i did not give you the address it is not too late i never retreat from any position i have taken indeed then our chins assumed an acute angle and remained thus when a woman is angry she is about as reasonable as a frightened horse when a man is angry he longs to hit something or smoke a cigar imagine my predicament when the cab reached washington place and came to a stand i spoke again shall i take the hat in or will you we shall go together ah if only i had had the courage to say i would it were for ever but i feared that it wouldn't take i rang the bell and presently a maid opened the door is monsieur de Beaucier in i asked no sir he is not the maid answered civilly do you know where he may be found if you have a bill you may leave it frostily and with sudden suspicion there was a smothered sound from behind me and i flushed angrily i am not a bill collector oh it's the second day of the month you know i thought perhaps you were he has in his possession a hat which does not belong to him good gracious he hasn't been stealing i don't believe making as though to shut the door this was too much and i laughed <laughs> no my girl he hasn't been stealing but being absent-minded he has taken another man's hat and i am bringing his home in hopes of getting the one he took by mistake oh and the maid laughed shrilly i held out the hat my land that's his hat sure enough i was wondering what made him look so funny when he went out where has he gone came sharply over my shoulder if you will wait said the maid good-naturedly i will inquire 
we waited so far as i was concerned i hoped he was miles away and that we might go on riding for hours and hours the maid returned soon he has gone to meet the french consul at moquin's which one i asked there are two one down and one uptown i'm sure i don't know you can leave the hat and your card thank you we shall retain the hat if we find monsieur he will need it i'm sorry said the maid sympathetically he's the worst man you ever saw for forgetting things sometimes he goes right by the house and has to walk back i'm sorry to have bothered you said i and the only girl in the world and myself re-entered the cab this is terrible she murmured as we drove off it might be worse i replied thinking of the probable long ride with her perhaps the last i should ever take how could it be i had nothing to offer and subsided for a space if we should not find him i'll sit on his front stoop all night forgive me if i sound flippant but i mean it snow was in the air and i considered it a great sacrifice on my part to sit on a cold stone in the small morning hours it looks so flippant in print too but i honestly meant it i am sorry you are in a great trouble of some sort i know and there's nothing in the world i would not do to save you from this trouble let me take you home and continue the search alone i'll find him if i have to search the whole town we shall continue the search together wearily what had she written to this other fellow did she love someone else and was she afraid that i might learn who it was my heart became as lead in my bosom i simply could not lose this charming creature and now how was i ever to win her it was not far uptown to the restaurant and we made good time would you know him if you saw him she asked as we left the cab not the least doubt of it confidently she sighed and together we entered the restaurant it was full of theatre-going people music and the hum of voices we must have created a small sensation wandering from table to table from room to room the girl with a look of dread and weariness on her face and i with the frenchman's hat grasped firmly in my hand and my brows scowling if i hadn't been in love it would have been a fine comedy once i surprised her looking toward the corner table near the orchestra how many joyous sunday dinners we had there hey ho is that he she whispered clutching my arm of a sudden her gaze directed to a nearby table i looked and shook my head no my frenchman had a mustache and a goatee her hand dropped listlessly i confessed to the thought that it must have been very trying for her what a plucky girl she was held me in contempt and yet she clung to me patiently and unmurmuringly and i had lost her we may have to go downtown N no as i live there he is now where there was half a sob in her throat the table by the short flight of stairs the man just lighting the cigarette i'll go alone but i cannot stand here alone in the middle of the floor i called a waiter give this lady a chair for a moment and i dropped a coin in his palm he bowed and beckoned for her to follow 
women are always writing fool things and then moving heaven and earth to recall them monsieur de beausire i said beausire glanced up oh it is i forget the name i told him i am delight he cried joyfully as if he had known me all my life the chair be seat thank you but it's about the hats hats yes it seems that the hat i gave you belongs to another man in your haste you did not notice the mistake this is your hat producing the shining tile mon dieu he gasped seizing the hat it is mine see i bring him from france the nom is mine voila and i never look in the other hat i am perfectly dumbfound and his astonishment was genuine where is the other hat the one i gave you i was in a great hurry i have him here reaching to the vacant chair at his side while the french consul eyed us both with some suspicion we might be lunatics bossier handed me the benevolent old gentleman's hat and the burden dropped from my shoulders it is such a mistake i laugh eh he shook with merriment i wear two hats and not know the mistake i thanked him and made off as gracefully as i could the girl rose as she saw me returning when i reached her side she was standing with her slender body inclined toward me she stretched forth a hand and solemnly i gave her mr chittenden's hat i wondered vaguely if anybody was looking at us and if so what he thought of us the girl pulled the hat literally inside out in her eagerness but her gloved fingers trembled so that the precious letter fluttered to the floor we both stooped but i was quicker it was no attempt on my part to see the address my act was one of common politeness but i could not help seeing the name it was my own give it to me she cried breathlessly i did so i was not at that particular moment capable of doing anything else i was too bewildered my own name she turned hugging the hat the legal documents and the letter and she hurried down the main stairs i at her heels tell the driver my address i can return alone i cannot permit that i objected decidedly the driver is a stranger to us both i insist on seeing you to the door after that you may rest assured that i shall no longer inflict upon you my presence odious as it doubtless is to you as she was already in the cab and could not get out without aid i climbed in beside her and called the street and number to the driver legally the letter is mine it is addressed to me and had passed out of your keeping you shall never never have it vehemently it is not necessary that i should i replied for i vaguely understand i saw that it was all over there was now no reason why i should not speak my mind fully i can understand without reading you realize that your note was cruel and unlike anything you had done and your good heart compelled you to write an apology but your pride got the better of you and upon second thought you concluded to let the unmerited hurt go on 
will you kindly stop the driver or shall i does truth annoy you i decline to discuss truth with you will you stop the driver not until we reach seventy-first street west by what right the right of a man who loves you there it is out and my pride has gone down the wind after to-night i shall trouble you no further but every man has the right to tell one woman that he loves her and i love you i loved you the moment i first laid eyes on you i couldn't help it i say this to you now because i perceive how futile it is what dreams i have conjured up about you poor fool when i was at work your face was always crossing the page or peering up from the margins i never saw a fine painting that i did not think of you or heard a fine piece of music that i did not think of your voice there was a long interval of silence block after block went by i never once looked at her if i had been rich i should have put it to the touch some time ago but my poverty seems to have been fortunate it has saved me a refusal in some way i have mortally offended you how i cannot imagine it cannot be simply because i innocently broke an engagement then she spoke you dined after the theatre that night with a comic opera singer you were quite at liberty to do so only you might have done me the honour to notify me that you had made your choice of entertainment so it was out decidedly it was all over now i never could explain away the mistake i have already explained to you my unfortunate mistake there was and is no harm that i can see in dining with a woman of her attainments but i shall put up no defence you have convicted me i retract nothing i have said i do love you i was very sorry for myself cabby drew up i alighted and she silently permitted me to assist her down i expected her immediately to mount the steps instead she hesitated the knuckle of a forefinger against her lips and assumed the thoughtful pose of one who contemplates two courses have you a stamp she asked finally a stamp blankly yes a postage stamp i fumbled in my pocket and found luckily a single pink square which i gave to her she moistened it with the tip of her tongue and stuck it on the letter now please drop this in the corner box for me and take this hat over to mr chittenden's sixty-ninth what do as i say or i shall ask you to return the letter to me i rushed off toward the letter-box drew down the lid and deposited the letter my letter when i turned she was running up the steps and a second later she had disappeared i hadn't been so happy in all my life cabby waited at the curb suddenly i became conscious that i was holding something in my hand it was the benevolent old gentleman's stove-pipe hat i pushed the button pushed it good and hard presently i heard a window open cautiously what is it asked a querulous voice mr chittenden yes well here's your hat i cried end of the enchanted hat the adventure of my lady's letter reading by marty chris